This is Thanasi Kambanis. You're listening to the TCF World Podcast, and today we're going to talk about another collision course between Iraq and the United States. I'm joined on the phone by Sajjad Jiyad at the Bayan Center in Baghdad, and Maria Fantapier, who's uh, on the phone with us from the Departure Lounge in the Erbil Airport in the Kurdish region of Iraq. Thank you both uh, for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having us. Sajad, I want to start with you. Can you lay lay the groundwork for us? Uh, what is the nature of the crisis today uh, between Iraq and the United States, which comes after a period where President Trump seemed very uninterested in Iraq and Iraq was consumed with its own internal uh, political crises? So the escalation with Iran has triggered off uh, a series of attacks on American interests in Iraq by pro-Iran groups. These are Iraqi armed actors, some of them are nominally part of what is called the PMF, the Popular Mobilization Forces, and these are part of Iraq's security apparatus. And these armed groups uh, are, are obviously in support of Iran, so they've targeted the American embassy a few times. They uh, attacked the, an Iraqi base with, uh, with shelling where an American contractor was killed, and there was a large protest that vandalized the outer perimeter of the embassy in response the Americans launched airstrikes without the approval of the Iraqi government in Baghdad airport that killed Qasem Soleimani, who's a senior general in Iran's military, and killed Abu Mahdi Mohandis, who is a senior official in the Iraqi PMF. And the government of Iraq uh, lodged a protest and a complaint at the UN uh, Security Council that America's actions violated Iraq's sovereignty. These airstrikes were carried out without approval. And... The Iraqi parliament met a few days after these airstrikes on the 5th of January, where they voted on a resolution to ask foreign troops to withdraw from Iraq. And this is what's led to the recent tension between the Iraqi government and the U.S. government, with the U.S. government saying that, you know, they have no plans to withdraw from Iraq. And President Trump mentioning the possibility of sanctions if the Iraqi government forces the Americans out. And on the same uh, kind of uh, you know tone, there is a march planned for tomorrow which is supposed to come out and denounce, you know, the presence of all foreign troops. So it is a bit of a tricky situation where Iraq is kind of stuck uh, in, a, in a, a, a difficult position between needing the assistance um, and cooperation of the U.S. and the coalition and between trying to get itself out of this web of, you know, escalating conflict between Iran and the U.S. How intense is the feeling in Iraq that, uh, that Iraq's sovereignty was irreparably uh, uh, disrespected by the United States in this strike, which, um, I mean, the way I see it is that Abu Mahdi was a, was a Iraqi government official uh, and, and the, the US, an allied government of the United States, and the United States assassinated him on Iraqi territory, which is a, a major breach of, 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 of practice, international law, and, and the relationship. So that's exactly what you mentioned earlier. The U.S. has predominantly been uh, not so much interested in developing, you know, their relations with Iraq, especially President Trump. He didn't seem to value much the U.S. presence in Iraq or cooperating with Iraq. Uh, it seems, and he's pointed to this in comments as well publicly, that the U.S. is in Iraq to watch Iraq. And so these airstrikes that took place in Baghdad airport, um, they are considered illegal because Iraq has invited the U.S. to assist with fighting ISIS. And these airstrikes were done to combat Iran, and they targeted a Iranian military official and also an Iraqi military official. So from the point of view of, uh, you know, Iraq's uh, pro-Iran parties, but also generally, uh, you know, politicians you know, who are maybe supportive of the U.S. have been very critical of that, that airstrike and recent actions. 
And it seems the US is not making, not willing to make any promise that they won't conduct any further such actions. And in this way, it puts Iraq in a very difficult position. The US is supposed to be assisting with the fight against Daesh. Instead, it's carrying out airstrikes because it wants to escalate or it wants to respond to Iranian attacks. And these are being conducted in Iraq, which means, you know, Iraq's sovereignty is basically out of the window. The fight against ISIS is not over. Uh, and um, the United States also has has bases all over all over the country that are... I think, engaged in a variety of mis- missions that aren't solely limited to, to ISIS. Uh, Maria, you're in a part of the country that is, uh, uh, let's say, m- more friendly to the United States than Baghdad or, or has tighter relationships. What, what is the view there of, uh, of, of this crisis? So uh, actually, um, uh, Tanasi, I'm uh, really, at, as you said, at the Erbil airport and not very far from here, um, there was uh, uh, this, this place actually very close to, to here. There was like a, a, a response to what uh, Sajad was mentioning to this U.S. Uh, airstrikes. Iran actually has launched one of its missiles exactly uh, not very far from this airport where, I'm, where, I, where I am. And, um, uh, and uh, close to this airport, there are uh, basis uh, of the uh, coalition against uh, ISIS. Um, uh, so even in the discussion with uh, with uh, with uh, with Western officials who are part of the of the coalition, uh, there is a really great concern that this uh, escalation between the U.S. and the Iranians is going to actually affect the operations of the coalition, especially in those territories that are between the Kurdistan region and Baghdad, the so-called disputed territory, um, where actually uh, um, since uh, October 2017 there is not yet cooperation between Peshmerga forces and Iraqi security forces. So, And now the coalition also is uh, more uh, challenged in its operation due to this increasing tension and threats on its personal installations. So um, there is actually the perfect situation for Daesh to reemerge. As for the Kurdish position uh, vis-a-vis of the situation, uh, it's uh, definitely, as you say, the uh, Kurdish officials have showed um, uh, since uh, these uh, clashes between the United States and Iran took place uh, in also uh, Iraqi uh, Kurdistan territory, um, uh, have tried to they have tried to take a sort of neutral position between the two, saying that the Kurdistan region, uh, as the rest of Iraq, but in particular the Kurdistan region, should not be the uh, uh, actually territory for confrontation between the two side. However, um, it seems that they have also reiterated in several occasions that they really need the um, coalition and the U.S. forces to remain in this region. And this has been actually reiterated publicly. And just yesterday, uh, the president of the Kurdistan region, uh, Nishirvan Bazani, has met President Trump at the Davos meeting. So it is rather, uh, for the time being, from now, perceived as this, the Kurdish official. They say they, they want to maintain neutrality but also they are taking a strong step, a strong position also in favor of uh, coalition and U.S. continued presence in this region. And we don't know if this is going to actually backlash on them with Iran launching new operations on these soils. So do, do the, the Kurds feel that the United States protects them from uh, from Baghdad or from uh, uh, from ISIS? I mean, what's the what's the sort of yes. need they feel? I mean, yeah, the, what, what is the feeling here? I think that the, we... 
I mean, uh, still the events are, are are very fresh. From I mean, there is we are we are still at the beginning of this of this uh, new line from the KRG because this is let's say the first time that they really have to face that sort of choice between the United States and the and Iran in such a, in such a way. Um, but they definitely feel that um, uh, the fact that the United States have actually stated that they will stay in Iraq, um, I think that the, it gives a Kurdish official. Uh, a lot of self-confidence in saying that if an attack would have happened, then there would be also an American response. However, what is my fear from the really analytical point of view is that um, Kurdish official may actually be too too confident about how much protection the United States can give them. Um, uh, So it's, uh, and still the geographical distance between this territory of Kurdistan and Iran, it's, it's, uh, it's very small, so here they're very exposed really to any sort of um, um, uh, operation from, from the Iranians if they will decide to do that. So I, just, I, I wanted to, to, to follow up that question and, and turn it to Sajad and ask from the Baghdad's point of view, are there any benefits to the United States? Uh, I mean, just, you know, security or other hard tangible benefits to the American presence, or is it all uh, is it all a, a negative at this point? I mean, there's no denying the U.S. is tremendously helpful to Iraq's fight against ISIS in terms of you know support for Iraq's military, the training of uh, of our troops, the logistical support, the air cover that they provide for operations. There will be a gap if the U.S. you know pulls out or or, or is forced to withdraw. There's no denying that. Um, in addition, you know, I think we expect relations to sour between Iraq and the U.S. if the U.S withdraws suddenly or is forced to pull out. And that, you know, um, could lead to issues like sanctions and not granting us the waiver on the existing um, secondary sanctions with regards to trading or energy trade with Iran, the potential of, uh, you know, reduce reducing the amount of dollars that flow to Iraq. Iraq maintains, uh, you know, billions of dollars in, in U.S. bank accounts. Uh, the U.S. could limit some of those. So c- certainly the relationship with the U.S. Um, could be better. I don't think Iraq wants to cut off relations with the U.S. I don't think um, you know, there is any kind of intention to unbalance Iraq's relations. I think they just need to be a bit more balanced for both Iran and the U.S. to acknowledge that they should not be fighting on Iraq's territory. If they want to you know, fight it out between themselves, they can do so elsewhere. And I think Iraq needs to work also on improving its own security to challenge armed actors and their ability to threaten you know, other countries, embassies and so on. That's certainly something for the Iraqi government to do. But in terms of, you know, um, valuing the U.S. contribution, I think, you know, it's very clear to Iraq how valuable it is. And Iraq wants to maintain, you know, healthy relations with the U.S. So, you know, after this episode, I think there needs to be some work done. I don't know how much the White House values, uh, you know, their presence in Iraq and their relationship with the Iraqi government. But certainly on the, on the Iraqi front, I think um, good relations with the U.S. Is, is absolutely necessary. We'll be right back. At a time when the focus of politics is on being the loudest voice and not the most informed, the Century Foundation delivers thoughtful, evidence-based policy leadership with purpose. I'm Lucy Muirhead, Chief Strategy Officer at the Century Foundation. We work to reduce inequality, foster opportunity, and promote peace and security, carrying on a tradition that TCF's founder began in 1919. In the Century Ahead, we'll continue to prioritise rigour over reactivity elevate the best ideas and most diverse voices, and never lose sight of what it takes to make an impact. You're listening to the TCF World Podcast. I'm Thanasi Kambanis, and I'm joined by Sajjad Jayad in Baghdad and Maria Fantapie in Erbil. 
Yeah, so Jad, you raise you raise a really critical point, which is uh, uh, you know we 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 analyze this as if there's a rational actor uh, or a reasonable actor in the White House uh, when in, when in fact there's many indications that there aren't. Um, and the uh, you know one of my concerns is that the United States does not seem to understand the strategic value or consequences of its partnership with Iraq uh, and seems to be willing to to throw it away. Uh, and so when the question I asked the two of you, what's the sort of pra- practical value on the ground uh, to this alliance uh, from from Kurdistan's perspective or Baghdad's perspective, uh, from the United States perspective, I'm afraid the White House doesn't see any except as a uh, pressure point against Iran. They don't see any value in a counterterrorism partnership against uh, ISIS or even in an enduring partnership with uh, a major Arab country that uh, a- alone among its peers uh, seems to be uh, semi-democratic and uh, and interested in a uh, in a reciprocal relationship with the United States in a region where most countries don't don't want to have much to do with the United States uh, and and so I, I'm afraid that by the end of Trump's first term, whether it's the first of two or the first of, of just one, uh, the the relationship will uh, be completely in shambles. I mean that's a concern I think for the Iraqi side as well that they're dealing with a White House that doesn't seem to have much of a strategy with regards to, you know, dealing with Iraq and even further out, it doesn't seem to have a very clear strategy in terms of dealing with Iran as well. So it's a concern, I think, for Iraq and their neighbors about where the White House wants to go with, you know, their, their position in the Middle East. But there is one, you know, fact that we probably need to be aware of is that the presence of foreign troops, wherever they are, but especially in Iraq, I don't think it's, you know, um, potentially possible to keep foreign troops around for tens of years. So the pullout will happen eventually. And I think the Iraqi government wants to be able to rely purely on Iraqi troops. Um, so, you know, Americans will leave Iraq. It's just a matter of how and when. Is it going to be because there's this diplomatic spat between the two countries? Is it going to be because tensions between the U.S. and Iran are increasing and they want to use Iraq as a battleground? But, you know, wh- whatever the outcome, I think foreign troops leaving Iraq is a certainty. And in the long run, Iraq needs to depend on itself. But at the same time, forcing the Americans out, even if the Americans don't have a very clear strategy, I don't think is is going to lead to good outcomes for Iraq. I think it needs to be very studied. I think it needs to be negotiated and needs to be done in agreement with the U.S. Even if they pull out over the next couple of years, it's better to have the U.S. on board and maintain good relations, even if they don't know what they want from Iraq, rather than you know causing embarrassment to President Trump in election year and then potentially facing a backlash. You know, the White House is talking about sanctions, and for Iraqis, that's uh, you know brings back the nightmare of the nineties. So, from your point of view, uh, what would what would be the best way? For this to unfold in terms of a, a, a recalibration of the relationship, or a you know a, a pullout, or a transition to a training mission, what's what's the best outcome? Well, um, I I totally agree with uh, with Sajad in terms of like the fact that there is need there is, there is a need to understand that at some point U.S. troops will have to pull out, but it's also true that uh, um, the listening from military officials of the coalition is also very important. That from the logistic point of view, as since the U.S. is the largest contributor to the coalition, that the the troops will stay uh, at least for the for a, for for the time being. I think. What the because the reemergence of Daesh is still a possibility, and we are still not very sure that actually the Iraqi security forces and the Kurdish security forces could actually handle on their own this uh, potential reemergence of of, of Daesh. Uh, on the other hand, in terms of the possible scenario, I think that. And this, there is a need, once the, a new prime minister comes into the play, um, uh, there is a need to renegotiate on clearer terms 
the presence of foreign troops and U.S. troops in Iraq. Um, this for sure is something that, uh, that needs to be done. Um, in terms of also um, not having um, a presence that actually uh, encourages Iranians to uh, target coalition and U.S. troops in Iraq, there is also a need to find probably a different formula where um, slowly and gradually um, some of the U.S. Uh, um, uh, some of the U.S. responsibilities in the coalition will be either replaced by uh, um, uh, by uh, some other uh, Euro- coalition. NATO parties. countries? Yes, European or NATO countries. There are already discussion on this. So um, we have to see really how this can be done uh, technically to actually reframe this presence uh, in a different way. Because for sure, if things stay as they are, um, this will be an invitation also for um, uh, paramilitary groups, PMF, and also um, uh, Iran to actually have still Iraq as a ground of confrontation um, against the United States and coalition partners. So there is definitely a need to renegotiate another framework, and this discussion is already uh, ongoing. Um, I mean, there's, a, there's an yeah. asymmetry here because the, the, the U.S., uh, and and NATO presence are are subject to a, a sort of publicly negotiated framework, whereas the extensive Iranian presence is entirely subrosa and informal, and so there's sort of no there's no uh, uh, technical parameters to, to to litigate. And so if the U.S. Uh, I mean, one of the interests here is balancing Iran. I mean, from an Iraqi perspective, uh, I would think one would want neither Iran nor the United States to be able to dominate the country. Uh, with the United States, you can do you can try to do this through things like the parliamentary declaration or renegotiating a status of forces agreement. With Iran, I'm not sure how one goes about this, and and therefore are you stuck in a position where you have to leave the United States in place as a hedge? Uh, or are there other other ways to to sort of negotiate these tracks simultaneously? Well, yes. I mean, you are right on the um, on the U.S. side. I think it's very important for the U.S. to in this moment. The, I think that the U.S. administration feels very self confident that since the Iranian response to its uh, strike hasn't been as strong in so far as they thought, they're very self confident in say they're going to stay, and there are just initial discussion about new framework of how renegotiating their presence. And um, however, from the Iranian let's say side, I think. Um, what it's very dangerous at this point, uh, it's really the fact that the PMF, uh, especially after the death of uh, Abu Mahdi al-Muhandis, uh, are, have actually lost uh, a sort of coordination um, chief that can actually um, also negotiate in some way their re- progressive and gradual reintegration into the state Iraqi state security forces. And on the contrary, we hear more and more um, voices with, from the PMF that actually call for a sort of resistance um, uh, against the United States and coalition presence in Iraq. So I think that one of the steps that will be very important is uh, to engage the PMF and re-engage really the PMF in, in the entire process of uh, um, of um, uh, of, of, of 
in some way, uh, engaging them, reintegrating them into at least some state framework. The National Security uh, Advisor, Faleh Al-Fayyad, is nominally in actually charge also of this force. And I think that um, uh, the fact that there is a raise of tension between the United States and Iran should not be the occasion to actually leave this process of gradual reintegration uh, fall apart. On the contrary, it's very important now to really continue that engagement engagement with at least those factions who actually wants to be reintegrated under the state security forces. So Jad, do you uh, do you feel like it's it's going to be possible to to see the the PMF continue to uh, consolidate its its lines of command or are you afraid of a of a sort of return to the fragmentation of the early uh, days after the fatwa? I think certainly the loss of Mahdis is going to be significant. Um as Maria pointed out, you know, he was very important in coordinating. The, the PMF isn't a monolithic force. It's made up of 50-plus different armed groups. They've been integrated into this PMF body. But Mohandis was the head of operations. He, you know, uh, in some terms, was the godfather of the PMF. So he coordinated between them. He made sure they were on track, resolved any disputes between them, um, and was certainly the most influential uh, politician on the PMF. And I think this is a concern his loss means there is nobody ready to step up and, and take that position. Will they fragment in such a way, you know, um, that leads to you know, violence or perhaps, you know, back to the early 2014 kind of period when they were first formed? I don't think so. I don't think that's what's on the cards. I think the um, Iraqi government will find a way to kind of uh, slowly but surely uh, keep a more of a, a check and a balance on the PMF. I think the loss of mind is in some ways over longer term, maybe encourages the Iraqi government to keep better control of the PMF. Uh, and the armed groups. Um, certainly, I think, you know, the unknown element of all this is what happens with, you know, these groups with regards to, you know, the U.S. Are they going to step up their campaign of denouncing the U.S., potentially attacking U.S. interests in Iraq? Um, are they going to, you know, violate Iraq's sovereignty by launching unauthorized operations and attacks? This is a concern, obviously, for the Iraqi government. Um, I think the loss of mind is maybe he was a restraining factor in some times. Um, and, and right now there isn't that restraining factor potentially. There's a lot of anger and emotion. Uh, but I think in the next coming months, um, as Maria pointed out, perhaps when there's a new PM uh, and he has a bit of a mandate, he'll be able to better regulate um, these armed actors in Saudi Arabia. We'll be right back. What exactly would a progressive foreign policy look like in the Middle East? The lines of critique are clear. Providing realistic policy proposals is a whole other thing and much more difficult. I'm Dan Benayim, and with my colleagues at the Century Foundation, we're trying to ask and answer the hard policy questions and come up with specific proposals that move the ball forward. You can see our ideas and join the conversation yourself at our website, tcf.org. I'm Thanasi Kambanis. You're listening to the TCF World Podcast. I'm joined on the phone by Sajad Jayad in Baghdad and Maria Fantapier in Erbil. Sajad, what what do you think uh, is? I mean, I, I know prediction is a is a fool's game, but but let me invite you to, to be that fool. Uh, do you, do you think the that the uh, uh, the PMF will retaliate further? And do you think that in this in the next year, while while Trump is running for re-election, that the United States will withdraw entirely from Iraq? I mean, that's that looks likely, if we're honest. Um... The Iranians did respond to the killing of Soleimani by launching these ballistic missiles, but no Americans were killed. You know, we're looking at the third most senior military officer in, in Iran who was assassinated by the U.S. And the Iranian response has been fairly limited, if we're, if we're quite honest. And I think, you know, they could expect to, uh, you know, 
revenge, seek revenge for Soleimani's killing uh, through indirect attacks, through using proxies, through encouraging groups like you know PMF um, military actors, maybe Hezbollah, Lebanon, elsewhere. I think that's probably where the true Iranian response will come. But it wouldn't be a cause for direct war between the US and Iran because they're not going to be directly you know in conflict using their traditional armed forces. So I think that's certainly a, you know a potential situation that Iraqis are worried about. I think. There is grounds for that. Uh, you know, the comments by Secretary Pompeo, President Trump himself, you know, some people in the administration have been helpful talking about sanctions, talking about, you know, Iraqis should have paid up for all the U.S. contribution towards bases and so on. Um, I think these are not helpful. They've increased tensions. And uh, when we will have a new PM in place, I think that's the opportunity all the time. The, the U.S. needs to seize an opportunity to build better ties and reinforce the importance of Iraq's uh, position strategically to the U.S. Otherwise, if it's just a matter of, you know, we're not really interested in what the Iraqi government says, we're here to stay, and if you guys try to force us out, we'll sanction you. I don't think that tone is particularly helpful, and that will encourage a lot of, you know, anger and emotion, perhaps leading to attacks against the U.S. The U.S. maintains, you know, a large presence in Iraq. It's present in several provinces, in, in Iraqi military bases, it has a huge embassy, and I think, you know, the potential for attacks is quite high, if we're, if we're quite honest. So it really depends on how, you know, diplomatically, politically, the relations develop over the next few months. But the potential, certainly, if we can't, you know, absolutely say there will be attacks, there is, you know, high potential for reprisals against the U.S. inside Iraq. Is it technically possible for the United States to remain in the Kurdish region and leave the Arab region of Iraq? So, you know, legally, uh, in terms of the Iraqi government's stance and international law, it would be illegal for the U.S. to remain if asked by the federal government. To, to leave Iraq. They would not be able to, to stay you know, anywhere from a legal perspective. From a technical perspective, I think Maria can, can add a little bit more on that, but certainly it would be possible to pull out the US from the rest of Iraq and uh, move towards Kurdistan, but then that opens up the Kurdish region for reprisals, and I think Maria can add a little bit more on that. Uh, well, I mean, uh, as uh, Sajjad said, from the legal perspective, uh, that uh, it's not possible in the sense that the US have been uh, and the coalition have been invited by the Iraqi government. Um, and uh, therefore, like once that invitation <laughs> it expires, <laughs> also it expires for Kurdistan. <laughs> um, uh, therefore, it will be difficult actually to make that argument. But I think that uh, technically there can be and already has been uh, some movements of of, uh, of coalition operation and also U.S. Uh, um, uh, troops um, uh, uh, in terms of um, like up to the region of the north uh, of, of North Iraq, even the consular service for example, of the United States in the, and now they are like, I think, transferred from Baghdad to the U.S. Uh, embassy, so the U.S. consulate in, in Erbil. Therefore, I mean, um, there is there is definitely a sense that the Kurdistan region is far more secure than the rest of the country. Therefore, for at least in this process where this presence of the U.S. and coalition remains uncertain, it's much better and much safer actually to move up troop or actually move some of the operation also, and also of the troop to Kuwait. So that is already happening. Um, uh, however, again, once the invitation from the Iraqi government expires, it expires also for Kurdistan. So it will be very difficult for the Kurdish official to make the case that um, uh, the U.S. troop should stay. And not only, if they will only stay in Kurdistan, that will make Kurdistan the perfect target for attacks from, from Iran. I want to, uh, in the last part of this conversation, before you both have to go, I want to ask you to, to help me unpack the uh, sort of regional consequences for Iraq uh, of this crisis. So 
Um, you can take these up in, in whatever order you want. But um, how does this crisis between the U.S. and Iraq affect, one, the, the um, viability of, of an ISIS resurgence, uh, two, Iraq's relationships with its Arab Gulf neighbors, um, three, Iraq's relationship with uh, its, its other uh, non-Iranian neighbors, Jordan um, and Turkey? So in terms of like uh, the presence of and resurgence of Daesh, of course, this crisis, as I said, will uh, strongly affect uh, the capacity of the coalition actually to, and is already affecting the capacity of the coalition to uh, implement its operation, especially in the disputed areas where, and in Sunni areas. So um, we already are uh, expecting that uh, Daesh is actually taking this opportunity to resurge and uh, the Iraqi government attention, uh, it's actually elsewhere, not on Daesh, but on managing this difficult relationship with the United States. The hash, the Shabi, the PMF attention is also elsewhere on the resistance against the United States, and therefore also their presence in these territories. Um, uh, it's not a guarantee for the fact that they could actually fight against ISIS. Um, in terms of the second point, the relationship between the Iraq and the Gulf country, um, I think that in the summer we saw that the United States, that, that, that Iraq could actually balance quite well the relation between Iran and the United States, also thanks to the coordination between the three presidencies, the president, the prime minister and the speaker of parliament. Now that there is a government crisis, it's very difficult for the government of Iraq actually to balance this relation and continue uh, also engagement with Gulf country without being seeing that without Iran seeing this as a clear um, uh, as, as, as Iraq taking position actually in favor of the U.S. and in favor of the Gulf country. Um, it's also um, important to highlight that on the third factor, Iraq and its neighbors, um, uh, the situation uh, that we are seeing now is that all the process that had started uh, in the summer in support of Iraq integration with the uh, neighboring country and also the proposition of having, for example, a conference of Iraq and other foreign ministries of the region to actually create a sort of common security framework all this that has been supported also by the EU, um, uh, High Representative Federica Mogherini at the time, all this discussion is unfortunately ended due to this escalation between the United States and Iran. So Iraq is in a very fragile position because of and these, three, um, these three points that you just mentioned are a great source of concern for the stability of the country. Sajad? I mean, as Maria you know, pointed out quite clearly, uh, there is a lot of concern um, ISIS resurgence um, when there is this gap in the ISF's capabilities. You know, we have limited, um, you know, air power. We certainly have very limited reconnaissance and, um, you know, ability to monitor Daesh. We rely on the intelligence sharing with the U.S. You know, even identifying targets and striking targets. The U.S. has been tremendously helpful there. So certainly I think, you know, Daesh is already active inside Iraq and should be able to take advantage if there is a gap of you know, ISF capabilities due to coalition withdrawal. Um, ISIS is present in several pro provinces in Iraq. It's in you know, Henry Mountain, south of Kirkuk, it's in Tiala, it's in uh, Salah Adi province, certainly around Nainoa, Mosul area, Syrian border. ISIS is already active there. You know, we can record probably you know on, on any given day at least an attack um, by ISIS cells on some rural area, you know, targeting tribes, tribal leaders or targeting and security officials 
in, in remote areas, I think this is a concern that um, they'll be able to step up if they feel the Iraqi forces haven't got their eye on the ball. If they don't feel that, um, you know, coalition, especially U.S. air power is a threat anymore, I think they will probably try to be a bit more active inside Iraq. Um, beyond that, you know, when you're talking about what, what effect does this have, you know, the recent spat between Iraq and the U.S., what effect does it have on, you know, on the wide Middle East? Certainly it's got um, Iraq's neighbors concerned that, number one, Iraq could become destabilized. If, you know, um, ISIS steps up their presence, that could affect, you know, Syria, could affect a few other countries. Number two, um, the fact that if Iraq is destabilized due to U.S.-Iran kind of conflict, that could involve other countries. The U.S. has assets in, in other countries. We'd assure our neighbors with Iraq, so Kuwait, you know, the rest of the Gulf, in, uh, in Turkey, in Lebanon, you know, and, and most of the Middle East, the U.S. has a presence. They could be, you know, potential targets for attacks. Uh, the Iraqi government, um, you know, also has a problem with these armed groups inside Iraq, you know, part of the PMF, most of them, if they decide to carry out these reprisals and move outside of Iraq and um, act in coordination with other pro-Iran groups, maybe Hezbollah and Lebanon, then, you know, the, the conflict could expand beyond Iraq. It could be a, a battleground for the whole Middle East. I think these are real concerns. U European countries are also worried about, you know, the effects of migration if Iraq is destabilized. They're worried about, you know, the issue of domestic terrorism. If, you know, the uh, ISIS is resurgent and begins to re recruit or possibly, you know, encourage attacks in, on foreign soil. So there is a lot here that's going on. I think most countries um, are really concerned about what the U.S. intends to do. They are, you know, they, they may not have the best of relations with Iran, but they always expected the U.S. to kind of have a plan and a strategy. And I think in recent years, this has been the concern. The U.S. does not know what to do with regards to Iran. It is certainly not, um, doesn't have a very clear plan with what it wants to do with regards to Iraq. And the fragility of Iraq's stability is something that affects, you know, if it becomes destabilized, is definitely going to impact every one of Iraq's neighbors. And I think that's definitely something that everyone's watching for. And they want to disentangle themselves from this situation, if possible. But for Iraq's neighbors, that's certainly not possible. You know, the fallout will be very quick if it happens and will involve, you know, populations across the whole Middle East. And, and sadly, the, the United States does not seem to care uh, at all about issues such as governance and quality of life in Iraq for Iraqi people. Uh, but there has been an incredible movement uh, since the fall of Iraqis who have been uh, pressuring uh, their their dissatisfying government for just that. So in, in closing, Sajad, I want you to, to, to tell me how all this has affected that protest movement, that sort of, you know, inspiring and admirable uh, autonomous popular movement that ha has been and I think continues to be demanding accountability from from the Iraqi government uh, independently of these these geopolitical machinations. Exactly right. I think that's a, a shame for the protest movement. They, for the fact that they are not caught up in a geopolitical situation, instead of attention being focused on you know how we improve governance, how we pressure the Iraqi government to to do a better job to protect the citizens, justice for the people that have been killed in these protests. Um, you know, reforms, carrying out, you know, what they promised the people to do in terms of, you know, fairer elections, uh, better model for elections, uh, improving services for people. That's what people have come out to protest for. And I think they will continue to protest regardless of what goes on. But attention has been shifted to, you know, to what's going on between the U.S. and Iran and how Iraq is caught up in this. And this is a concern that nobody seems to really care about the protests, the Iraqi government included. And second, uh, you know, the fact that if, if the issue, the agenda of the day is changing to denouncing the U.S. or, you know, um, protesting against the U.S., then, you know, protests could be attacked because 
you know, if they are campaigning against issues like, you know, justice and reforms, they might be accused of, you know, not being supportive of Iraq's, you know, um, national position in terms of pushing back against the U.S. violation of sovereignty, and they could become a target themselves for reprisals. So there is fear, I think, um, and trepidation that Iraqi protesters, civil rights activists, um, you know, civil society themselves will become a target because they're not suitably aligned with the agenda of the day, which at the moment is, you know, pushing back against the U.S. And I think regardless of what goes on between Iran and, and, and the U.S., Iraq's governance is always going to be a problem. We need to address those. So if the U.S. stays or goes, or if Iran and the U.S. become friends or whatever, Iraq still has a problem with corruption and justice and services. And I think it's a shame for our protest movement that these other geopolitical issues have, have seemed to have got in the way. It was just a few months ago on this podcast that I think Maria uh, uh, said that if um, if the United States insists on using Iraq as a venue to confront Iran, uh, everybody will lose out. And I think we're we're seeing, uh, unfortunately, what that looks like now. Sajad, uh, Maria, thank you both uh, for coming on the podcast and uh, really appreciate your, your insight and your thoughts. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Till next time. PCF World has been brought to you by the Century Foundation, a progressive public policy think tank that seeks to foster opportunity, reduce inequality, and promote security at home and abroad. For more information about our work, please visit tcf.org or follow us on Twitter and Facebook.